Good morning. It is Sunday, July 9th, and we're going to give you a free pick at the end of this podcast. You could fast forward if you choose. We're going to talk about regression to the mean first. It's very important in sports betting analysis, and it's a little bit of a contradiction to, or compliment actually, if you get into it, to the gambler's fallacy. They actually work together. They seem opposite, but they do complement each other. That's what I'm saying. It's interesting, funny, too, when you talk about the sports betting side of it and analysis. We win six out of ten days here at sport score projections. We started out the month with four losing days. We have now had a four-day winning streak. So you could argue that we have more coming on that. The average will dictate that out over time. But it's... We could have had five losses in a row just because we started with through the July 4th with losses every day doesn't mean it wouldn't have gone fifth or sixth. It can happen. It's unfortunate, but it can happen. So anyway, yeah, regarding our picks, you can get them at the score projections page at patreon.com. They're available every day and they are posted now. But let's get into regression to the mean in sports betting and how it complements rather than contradicts the gambler's fallacy which was yesterday's topic, by the way. That's why I'm tying them in together. So aggression to the mean indicates that performances by individuals or teams will come closer to their average or the league average or the season averages that we come to expect over time. Let's get into, let's talk about team and individual here. Well, and actually, let's just jump real quick into this term. I don't, I don't want to get too technical. This isn't just a sports betting term. And when I say regression to the mean, we normally look at regression as a receding or lesser of something. When it actually is being used as returning, we could say returning to the mean. And mean is another word for average. You say returning to average might be the more simplest way to do it. But the technical term is regression to the mean. It's used in finance, it's used in medicine, it's used in everyday life. You think you'd find it, I do believe you find it most in sports analysis and in uh, finance in the area of maybe day traders, not necessarily. No, actually, you can find it also in the Warren Buffett types, buy and hold types. Actually, very significant in there as well because he's looking for specific numbers ratios and when he finds that value he's just gonna buy it and he's just to sit there and hold it and say I, I don't know what's going to do tomorrow i'm not saying it's going to continue it's going to immediately go up as soon as i buy it it's going to move higher based on these ratios it's going to move higher over time and if i have to sit on it for three years i'll do that of course he doesn't want to have his money sitting there for three years with nothing but that's the end result okay so we've gone down a little bit of a rabbit hole i'm going to go down a little bit deeper the term was coined by uh, Sir Francis Galton oh, about 150 years ago, late 1800s, so late 19th century. And he noticed that the children of extremely tall parents were still tall, just not as abnormally tall. The children of extremely short parents were still short, just not as short. So that was the human race saying, okay, regardless of what the genetics of the parents genes are saying we're going to be a little less tall or a little less short and move towards the human average and that was where regression to the mean was first coined but regarding baseball because that can be boring it's, it's, it's 
it's not a baseball thing. It's it's. I wanted to give you the overall perspective of how prevalent this phenomenon, if you will, is a regression to the mean and how it affects us. Okay, so let's talk about season totals and individual performances. So football, here's a good example. We have season win totals that people are betting on soon. And we need to be looking at turnover ratio for that. So if a team has a positive number, when I say positive turnover, that means that you've recovered turnovers at a much higher rate than you've coughed them up. I'm talking about interceptions and fumbles. And the vice versa side of that being, if you have a very high negative number, where you threw interceptions like crazy, butterfingers, you're turning the ball over like crazy, and your defense didn't give you much help. They weren't, they weren't picking anybody off or stripping any fumbles, stripping any sacks, strip, strip sacks, things like that. So you got extremely high number, positive number, extremely low negative number. Both of those are extremely unlikely to happen again. It is much more likely that they will return to the season average. Not, they're not going to go from plus 25 to minus 25 to even it out, used to using round numbers. They're just literally probably going to be right at season average. And the same thing is true for individual performances. When you had, uh, was it uh, Diggs, Trevon Diggs of Dallas, where everyone said, oh, he's going to set the new record for interceptions. No. He actually started slowing down at the end of the year. Um, but he still had an aberration of a high number of interceptions. Well, that was two year, two seasons ago. Last season, nowhere close. I believe he didn't lead his own team. So those aberrations. Is he a good cornerback? That's not the argument we're making. Will he, will he lead the league in interceptions again? Possibly. What we were saying, though, is that that was an aberration and it came back down to earth. The season for the team is much more important, averaging all those players together. If you intercepted and, and recovered fumbles at a higher rate than the league average, that's coming back down to earth. And yes, we can argue that some teams preach that better. Some defensive coordinators spend more time trying to figure out how to strip the ball, how to intercept the ball, put in more systems to do that and simply sometimes just have more players that can do that so you're looking at yes there are some teams that are going to have a little bit higher than average but if it becomes out of the range you can start you can enter bell curves into the argument we can get really deep into it and talk about the distribution on that but just let's simple let's simplify it if a team has an enormous positive number in turnovers meaning the good side that's going to reduce and you'd be looking at them as having less wins for the upcoming season. Vice versa is that a really poor record and a ridiculous number of lack of turnovers and given up and turnovers given up by your own team, that will turn around. And you can expect that team's win total to move up. Season win totals for baseball. Baseball's the better sport, but actually in reverse order of the amount of games that you play is the quality of uh, regression to the mean. Baseball, 162 games. Basketball and hockey with 82. NFL with 17. College football with even less. And then you have uh, college basketball in the middle of those in the, in the 30 range. Low 30s now. So the more games you have to play, the better regression to the mean normally works. And the less games you have, the less it works. 
football being a situation where you really can't say halfway through the season that the team's going to start throwing more interceptions or getting more interceptions, but you have a lot better chance of doing it season to season. So I gave that example, and it's really important in projecting the success for the next season or wins and losses for the next season is the turnover ratio. It's really that important. Some of them, some people actually think it's the number one thing to look at for the next season because they can't predict necessarily individual performances on yards per carry or passing yardage thrown, et cetera, or which receiver is going to break out and, and have a hundred plus catches. So season turnover ratio is very important in football. In basketball, let's talk about baseball. Actually, we're in baseball season. Ba- uh, batters, hitters develop a uh, baseline. And that's developed their formative years. Let's just say, we're going to use round numbers because it does change. But let's say the first five years, the player comes into the league and his average is steadily moving up. And then in year, let's just say year six, he hits... 308, year 7, 292, year 8, 301, year 9, 297, year 10. You see where I'm going with this? You've seen a baseline. He's right around 300. And he's not in a decline yet. And he's just right at the peak, right at his peak. So you're expecting around 300. But he starts the season out hitting 400. And the talking heads are going crazy. It's the chase for 400. That's usually the time when you should start looking for that that hot streak to start coming back down to earth. And of course, if you had a bet that said, will so-and-so hit 400 for the season? The answer is no. Is it mathematically possible? Certainly it is. The answer is going to be no. He's not going to hit 400. But you can't assume he's just going to hit 200 the rest of the year either. He's just going to come closer to 300. A pitcher, let's use a number of this using area of three just to try to get something round that's his career average on the baseline years and he comes in throwing 0.79 after 10 games that is going up he comes in throwing 7.79 after 10 games that average is going down if a team starts the season out after 50 games and they look like they're going to set a record for the most losses ever you could look at the Oakland A's this year then that record is going to get better they're not going to set the, the season record for losses will someone break the season record for losses well yeah of course but you have to make the assumption there will be a regression to the mean now that's touchy yes because Oakland sold off every player of any value and that's why they're bad but you have to assume that historically bad versus bad are two different numbers. Historically bad, well, those are called record-breaking for a reason. Records aren't broken every year. Eventually they are, but not every year. So you could assume that Oakland is going to get a little bit better. Well, sure enough, they had a seven-game winning streak. Then you can assume, wait a minute, this is still a bad team. This is going to turn around. Well, then they ended up with a nice losing streak that erased all the winning streak and then some. So that's what happens. So you can assume a team historically bad is going to get a little bit better. But that historically bad team that that wins a number of games in a row is not going to continue that streak. We talked about that a little bit in yesterday, I believe, that you can assume that a 
bad team that has won five games in a row, you should look at betting against them. Don't automatically bet against them. You should look at betting against them. The opposite, of course, if it's a good team on a winning streak, then you should look to continue that winning streak. A good team on a losing streak, you should look for that <clears throat> streak to end. That's just how it works. But yet we need to tie this in to the gambler's fallacy. Just because a coin flip had 15 heads out of the last 20 tosses doesn't mean you're going to have 15 tails in the next 20 tosses. You could very well have another 15 heads. The roulette wheel, just because it was red 20 times in a row doesn't mean it's going to be black. It's still a 50-50. Well, actually, it's, if you ignore green, I should say, it's still a 50-50 proposition for either red or black. <clears throat> Again, we're ignoring green. So it's better to use the coin toss scenario. Still 50-50, heads or tails. What you can say is over time, it will regress to the mean, meaning tails will be 50 and heads will be 50%. But you just have to remember that the next outcome is still 50-50. If you could look at an average, <clears throat> then you could say, well, yeah, over the next 20 coin tosses, yes, there was 15 heads. It is more likely that there will be more tails than heads in the next 20 tosses. But still, got to remember, it's 50-50 on the very next play version of that. And you can't get him down to this rabbit hole where you just keep going against the number and doing the martingale progressive system where you bet you think it's going to be tails so you bet tails and you double it and bet double them out for tails again then you double that amount and bet tails again because it can continue to be tails what we do know is that the larger the sample size the more likely it regresses to the mean if you've cost a, you toss a coin a million times you're going to be a simple rounding error from 50 50. i, I can't say it's going to be exactly 500,000 each it could very well be 500,003 heads and 499,997 in tails. It's going to be a rounding error. But in, the, in, if, in, in 100 tosses, while that's certainly going to be more accurate than 10, you could easily have 7 out of 10 heads in 10 tosses. We all know that. You're much less likely to have 70 out of 100, though. You're more likely to get to 50-50. You see where I'm going with this? If you toss it a thousand times, it's very unlikely you'll have 700 heads. Very, very unlikely. Extremely unlikely. But still possible. When you get up to a million tosses, you're, just, you're not going to have 700,000 heads and 300,000 tails. It, it is not going to happen. So you got to use sample size to your advantage. And that, in a nutshell, is the difference between the uh, gambler's fallacy, where something is due, versus regression to the mean where you can reasonably assume that aberrations of performance will turn into average over time. You just can't bet on the very next outcome. You can assume that if a player in basketball has never had 50 points in a game ever before in his career and he's averaging 17 this season and he has 50, he's not going to get 50 in the next game. He's not. But I think we all know that. I don't think anybody's going to bet on having 50 the next game. What you do look for is if a book has moved it too far up on based on that 50 and some and they're trying to take in the fools, then you can bet under the number. But uh, that is it in a nutshell. I think we went on a little longer than we may needed to. Hopefully I got enough information out there about regression to the mean and tying it into gambler's fallacy. And uh, didn't bore you too much, but gave you enough information.
try to do this stuff off the cuff, but it, I've been using scripts and I think they get a little boring, so I tried to do this one pretty much off the cuff. Today's game for the free pick will be, there's no late games today because we're rolling into the All-Star break. It'll be the Giants, the, uh, the San Francisco Giants. We're going to take half of our bet on the first three innings that the Giants are leading. So if it's tied, or they're losing, of course, our bet is lost. So they must be leading after three innings, and they are you're paying minus 120 for that for a half. We just have a nice advantage in various things for them to be in the, in the lead. And then we'll hedge a little bit. We'll take the Giants in the run line for half, the other half. So Giants to win the game by two. So hopefully they're winning after three, but if they happen to be tied or behind by three, they still might come back and blow up the poor and over-mismatched opponent and win by two for half. That is it. Good luck.